Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. As I'm recording this, it is New Year's Eve, which is exciting. Start of a new year. A good chance for everybody to reset and um, a good time to, you know, if, if you didn't write as many songs as you wanted to this year, if you didn't accomplish the things you wanted to accomplish, it's sort of this artificial reset point where you get to sort of re-pivot and re-figure out, um, all right, here's what went well last year, here's what didn't go well last year, how can I fix that, how can I get better? And if you're listening to this podcast, that means you've dedicated yourself to getting better at songwriting this year, which is awesome. So this is the final uh, week in our month of how to start. And today we are talking about how to start arranging. Because I know arranging it can be a really uh, overwhelming sort of peace and because really when you write a song practically speaking most of the time your song is you have the chords that you play on the guitar and you have an idea of the rhythm you play maybe you do some arpeggios or finger picking or or whatever else but you basically have your guitar part or maybe uh more commonly for me, a piano part. Um, or, you know, if you're writing certain type of rock music, sometimes I have multiple electric guitar parts that sort of all work together to create what I call the body of the song. Um, but you don't really have a full arrangement, right? The version of the song you currently have written is the version that you play at an acoustic open mic without your bandmates, right? Um, and depending on, you know, the, the type of recordings you're going for and the type of sound you're going for, um, probably your sound is not, and it might be, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but probably your, your sound is not um, every single song that you want to record or, or the way that you would want to perform a song in an ideal scenario is literally just you and whatever instrument you wrote this song on or whatever instrument um, would be the instrument that you would play while performing and singing this song. And, you know, if you're not in that category where the ideal way that this song is performed and recorded and the way you want people to remember it is not just one instrument that you can play while singing and you singing, then arrangement is important. And I would even argue that technically uh, it is an arrangement choice to not add other instruments to that. So even in the example... I personally would argue that is also an arrangement and an arrangement choice. And usually in a recording, even if it is truly just one instrument and you like, usually there's at least something else subtle going on. Uh, sometimes it might be like two acoustic guitars instead of one to sort of make it a little more interesting and have two parts sort of blending into one. Or sometimes... You know, you might have just the one piano or whatever, but you, you do have atmospheres kind of going on in the background that swell over the course of the song, or just sort of, you know, a pad in the background, a pad synth that just sets the tone. So most of the time, arrangement is going to be relevant for you. So arranging can be overwhelming, right? Because you've already written your song. And you think, wow, and that that whole process was just to come up with basically one instrument part, probably, and one, you know, the vocal, uh, with the vocal obviously comprising of the lyrics and of the melody. 
And now you're like, how on earth do I even begin to make this this little song I have written into, you know, a, a, a massive rock song or into a, a song that has enough going on to maintain interest for the listener, for the specific type of song, right? If you're writing almost like a pop style song, you're probably not going to get away with just you and the piano unless it's a ballad. Then maybe that will work. Then again, these are, these are not hard and fast rules. There are always exceptions to this. And being able to break the rules well, I think, is, is in general what separates good from great. Uh, so any rule I ever give you, I usually clarify this, but any rule I ever give you is, is definitely meant to be broken. Um, sort of off of that, right? Um, <clears throat> this is a little different, but it's on my mind, so I'm going to use it as an example. You know the rule of the rules of movie making pre Star Wars were meant many things. One is that you couldn't possibly self finance a movie that would be a blockbuster, and that you know for the most part independent filmmakers uh, never could really reach huge success. It was kind of a rule you needed to you know do it through Disney or Fox or somebody else, and. The rule of at the time was was uh, very much towards pop music and away from orchestral arrangements with character motifs and all those sorts of things. Um, and there were just so many rules that existed that Star Wars came in and said, "Nope, we're going to ignore those rules." Uh, George Lucas, you know, bet on himself. He fully funded the the uh, sequel, so Empire Strikes Back. Um, even though Star Wars was a smash success because he said, no, I don't want there to be some company that can tell me to change the script or whatever. I have my vision and I don't want anybody to be able to touch it. So if you have Disney Plus, just watch Empire of Dreams. It's fascinating. My dad doesn't even really like Star Wars, but he loved that um, or, or seemed to really enjoy and be interested in that um, it's two and a half hours, but that documentary is just fascinating. And I, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. If you followed at all, you probably have gathered that. Um, because if I'm not bringing up a football example, I'm probably bringing up a Star Wars example or The Office. And you're probably starting to get a little pulse of the things I love. But um, even if you're not, it's honestly just just fascinating look behind the scenes into um, a brilliant creator's mind. But anyway, the the idea that I'm getting here is, you know, what makes Star Wars and, and George Lucas great is the fact that he could stare down the rules and break them. But he was so... But he knew the rules and knew how to break them because he knew about the rules. Um, so sort of one of those weird things where, like, there are rules that I'm going to give you like music theory stuff and a bunch of stuff. But uh, where true brilliance can come in is where you do something kind of unconventional. You kind of break the rules. You kind of break the the general thought, and that can, can be an entryway into special. Uh, not that you necessarily need to break rules to get there, but it can be helpful. So, all to say, when I mention rules, that is what I mean. So... Maybe you can make a pop song that's really catchy with just a piano in your voice. Unconventional? Sure. Could it work? Sure. Or a rock song without drums, right? Like, that's <laughs> that blows my mind, just saying that out loud. But um, could it be done? Probably. So, let's dive in to how to start arranging. So, the first part here is you need to figure out the pieces you have. Building an arrangement, and yes, I said building an arrangement, not writing an arrangement, and there's a reason I chose the word building. Um, building an arrangement is like building a team. When you build a team, right, you need different members of the team to have different roles and strengths. And you need the individual parts of the team to work together, right? 
Because as we all know, or hopefully you know, a team is not the sum of its parts, right? There have been many sports teams that have been star-studded and just failed, right? If you look on paper, they were better in every single category than the team opposing them, but they failed. Um, And a part of that is, you know, sometimes, you know, teams aren't perfect. But another part of that is... A team is not the sum of its parts. Just ask the Browns this year. Because the Cleveland Browns, on paper, had a bunch of great players, but they went 6-10. and Their head coach fired after one year. And, you know, if you're not, if you're not a, so I'll continue with the football thing for a second, and then I'll go to a non-sports example for any of you who are not sports people. So, like, on a football team, right, the skills your quarterback needs is significantly different than the left tackle. And what a left tackle skill set is is significantly different than a pass rusher. You know, like an outside linebacker that works as a pass rusher, which is very different than a corner, right? Like, all of these jobs have very, very, very different skill sets, right? If you're a wide receiver and you're not at least a certain amount fast, you're useless, Historically, right? Like, that's just not a thing. A wide receiver needs to have speed. It might not need back-breaking speed, right? There are some that are possession receivers that are less speed-based, but for the most part, they need to be speedy. Uh, You know, a Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, slow, right, can make great quarterbacks because they can throw the ball very well. Uh, but they would never make it as wide receivers because they just don't have the speed. They also probably don't have the catching ability, but that's a side thing. So, And it's the same thing with like a team in a sandwich shop, right? So I, I worked at Panera Bread uh, during the end of high school and then the first half of college. And there's, there's basically um, four, four roles there. Not counting managers. So there's somebody that's on dining room shift, which is basically the person that's in charge of cleaning up the dining room, right? They're the person who cleans the table when the guests leave. They're the person that puts the dishes away because guests obviously never, ever, ever, ever put the dishes away, even though there's a clear spot to put them and they're supposed to put them away. But they never do that. So many people because people are selfish. If you're one of those people, please put your dishes away. I don't work at Panera anymore. I haven't worked there for seven years or six years now. But be good. Be kind. Help the person out. Because there's one person that has to keep that whole dining room clean, which is a ton of work. Um, And people are spilling food on the floor and everything. But anyway, so there's somebody in charge of that. And then you have cashiers, right? Their job is to take people's orders, to enter the orders correctly into the machine, to charge people the right amount of money, to get the right amount of money, to count the money correctly, and to give back the right change, right? Or easier to just run somebody's credit card. Love being handed a credit card when you're a cashier. It's so much easier. And then you have people making the sandwiches, right? The person who takes your order is not going to be the same person who makes your sandwich, which is not going to be the same person as the person who got your table clean before you sit down and will clean your table after. And then when you inevitably don't put the dish back where it belongs, but the dining room person does, and then eventually when the dishes stack up a little bit, the dining room person takes those dishes to the back to the dishwasher to wash the dishes so that the people who make the sandwiches can put the sandwiches on a plate because the plates are washed, right? So that's basically the whole machine right there, right? So that's Panera Bread in a nutshell. Um, And, and, you know, that's true of a lot of restaurants like that. I just can only speak for Panera since I worked there. Um, But for the team concept, right? How how far is is a a Panera going to go if you have really friendly, great cashiers who always put the orders in right who are always pleasant to talk to, that always 
are efficient enough to keep the line from getting too long. But if the sandwich makers suck and they can't get an order done on time, if they often don't read the specific directions, like you're picky and you don't want a tomato on your sandwich, and that sandwich maker didn't see that. So you're like, ugh. You bite into your sandwich, you get a little tomato, and you're like, ugh, I'm so picky, I don't like this, right? I'm teasing you, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? Or or maybe you requested for the bread to be toasted, and it's not toasted, and you got to hand it back to them, and then they're like, oh, okay, that will be another five minutes. And you're like, are you kidding me? It's just toasting bread. Um, or, or they give you the wrong sandwich completely, right? Or it just takes so long that now you're just ticked off. So your experience at that Panera, even though the cashiers were great, might be terrible just because of the sandwich makers, right? Everybody needs to work together properly, right? Or let's say the cashiers, dish, dishwashers, and sandwich makers are all working full capacity. They're working together. They're working great. The cashiers are communicating with the sandwich makers. The dishwashers are bringing out the dishes on time for the sandwich makers. It's just a machine. But the dining room person doesn't bring the dirty dishes back to the dishwasher in time. So the dishwasher is thinking, there's no dishes to be done, right? I've finished all the dishes. Maybe it's slow out there. I don't know why I don't have dishes to wash. And then the sandwich makers run out of dishes. And they come to back and say, hey, have you not been washing dishes? We need more dishes. We need to give this order to the customer so that they're happy. Because Panera, I believe the rule is that between order and then finish, it needs to be three minutes. Or at least that's what it was at my Panera six years ago. Maybe that's different. But it was three minutes. You had three minutes to, to make the order. I believe, uh, since once it's it's put it's put through um, from the cashier. Um, so, so so now the person making the sandwich right is coming coming to the back and being like, "Hey, where are my dishes?" And then the person washing the dishes is like, "I I gave you all the dishes. I don't have any more dishes." So now, because just one part of that machine, one part of that team isn't working properly, the person in the dining room, everything is getting messed up, even though all the other pieces are competent at their job. The dishwasher is competent, but he doesn't have the dishes to wash. The sandwich makers are competent and fast and do their job right, but they don't have a plate to put the sandwich is on. So now all their orders are going to be late, right? And all of a sudden the whole thing falls apart because of one piece. So a team is not a sum of its parts. And you got to figure out the pieces that you have. So in both the examples I gave, right, the, the role of each part is totally different. Quarterback needs to throw the ball to his receivers. The left tackle needs to protect the quarterback so he has time to throw to his receivers. The pass rusher needs to do their best to prevent the quarterback from having enough time to throw to his receivers. I'm aware of at least one person in England who listens to this. So in soccer, right, a striker in any form of offense, offensive player has a very different job than a defender, right, or if your team has a sweeper on it. Um... Or, you know, a goalie has a different job than a midfielder, right? Midfielder sort of works as that person in the middle who's often has to be in the best shape because they are running all day long, helping out a little bit on defense, trying to get the ball from the defense all the way to the offense. They also can score goals for sure. They're, they need to be able to pass well. They need to be able to run enough, right? So the, the skill set of any position is just going to be different. And that's also true at, you know, Panera with making sandwiches, right? Like this, the person who makes sandwiches doesn't really need to be that great with customers necessarily. But the person who is taking orders as a cashier definitely does, right? Because you're dealing with a bunch of people who are in a bad mood, who don't like you just because you exist and you are in the way of their sandwich and they are hangry and they don't like you because... 
You're the person that's making them wait to get a sandwich, right? And they're just in a bad mood, and you got to be able to put the smile on anyway. And even when you have a customer that's a jerk, when the next customer comes up and they're also wearing a frown, you got to be able to smile all over again, right? That's a different skill set. Um, so similarly, where we're going with this, right, is a team is not some of its parts, and your arrangement is not either. You need to figure out what pieces you already have for your song. Right, so maybe you have your melody and a piano part that you feel should be the featured instrument. Right, maybe you have a piano part that you're like this, you know, has a pretty memorable riff in it. This has a sort of motif, almost almost a lead part, um, or a hook even in my in my piano part. Right, So I want this to be the featured instrument. I want this to be the first thing that people hear. I want it to be at the forefront of the mix. When I perform it live, I want people to be able to hear the piano because it's very important. It has melodic components to it. Or you might have an acoustic guitar strumming part that you feel is best utilized to fill out the background of the song, right? Because it's not maybe it's not that interesting. It's just sort of boring strumming and, you know, it needs to be there to sort of fill out the mix, you think, but it's not... It's not something that you feel deserves prominence. Maybe you have, because maybe you think, oh, I should write a piano part that's a little more interesting to be more prominent. Or maybe, you know, it's a harder rock song, right? Where the more prominent parts are probably going to be electric guitars doing some power chords and some lead guitar and stuff like that, right? So the first step is figuring out the pieces that you already have. And most of the time, it's it's going to be you know your vocal, and it's and it's going to be you know whatever instrument you wrote the song on, and figuring out where those fit, which leads into the second piece is 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 which goes together with this is figuring out the pieces your song needs, right and. You don't necessarily need to do this in either order. I think it's sort of a uh, they both work together. Not necessarily one and then the other. So, what is your song? Is it going to be a song with tons of layers of instruments creating a wall of sound that's just massive? Or is it a low-key arrangement with your vocal carrying the show? Maybe it's an intimate acoustic piece? Maybe it's largely dominated by large synths to sort of give this robotic feel? To give that modern EDM sort of feel? You can't create your arrangement without understanding what your arrangement team needs, right? Because we, we're, we're talking about how an arrangement is sort of like a team, right? It all just needs to work together to win. Uh, not that there's winning in, in writing a song. There's not. But it needs to work together to be a good team, right? If you're creating a doubles tennis team, a football team, a swim team, or a chess team... You're probably looking for significantly different pieces, right? In a chess team, you can't have just different roles, right? Like everybody just needs to be good at chess. Your motivation is not, like it's not five dudes or women or mix or, you know, whatever. I assume for chess, it's all just mixed. I don't know. Let me know. I mean, I was a chess player, but I never was, like, on a chess team. I just did chess tournaments that was, like, individual or whatever. But I assume that is completely co-ed. So you got a group of <clears throat> of kids or young men and women or old men or whatever. Um, and for a chess team, right, you're not – you don't have, like, well, well, okay, this lady is is great with knights, Right? And this other guy is a pawn master. And this other guy just knows how to escape checkmate, right? And they're all working together on the same board. Like, that's not how that would work. Whereas that is sort of how, like, a football team works, right? Where, like, uh, a, a linebacker doesn't need to be good at throwing a football. Right? In fact, who cares? Like, it's completely irrelevant. And a quarterback doesn't need to be fast. It can help, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to be. A wide receiver does, though. Um, or, you know, a defender in soccer doesn't necessarily need to be good at shooting the ball. 
They should be good at passing the ball. They should be good at stopping shots and being smart about positioning and where to best be to help out the goalie to make sure that a shot is not made on net or that they can stop a, a, a shot on net before it even gets to the goalie, right? Um, but for a chess team, you're looking at it very differently. Everybody needs to be able to have a chessboard of their own and be a competent player. So you don't care about like, oh, this guy's good with knights and this and this girl's good with 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 rooks and blah blah blah. Like you don't care about that. Or a doubles tennis team, right? Like you may say, okay, maybe you want one to be you know really strong server, but if you just have two people who are great at serving but they're garbage at the other part of the game that's not going to be very useful right you want them both to be well-rounded now one might be better at serving than the other and one may be better at net play and one may be you know have have a a a harder top spin shot um or hit i should say um but for the most part they both just need to be competent tennis players that work well together so no matter what your team is, right, or, or Panera team, right, or, or your team at, you know, a software company, right, w- whatever it is, whatever teams you're a part of, they all are constructed very differently and all have different needs. And your song is the same way. So you need to figure out for your song, what are the needs of the team? What are the needs of this song for the arrangement? Is this a song where it needs to have layers upon layers of guitars to just give that wall of guitar sound that just blows people's minds? Is it something where you need, um, you know, strings to really add that legato uh, instrumentation? Is it something where, you know, you need a bass line that sticks out, a great bass line? Or is it something where, you know, you don't really even care about the bass? You don't even have bass. For some reason, you, you determine that the whole song can be constructed simply with uh, mid-rangey sort of instruments. Or, or maybe it's just one mid-range instrument, right? It's just you and the guitar, you and the piano, something like that. So you need to look at the song and figure out, okay, what does this song need? What is this song? And there can be several answers to that, right? Like, it's pretty common to do an acoustic version of a song, right? Or a broken down version of a song where, like, you know, you have the version that you can just go to an open mic by yourself, get on that keyboard or piano if they have an actual piano, which would be awesome, um, and perform the song. But you also probably have a version that you would consider maybe the truer version uh, that you would record for the album, uh, with your rock band, right, where you have a bunch of guitars and a bunch of, you know, a bass and drums and all that sort of stuff. So a strong acoustic guitar part might be great for adding to the body of your song, but might not be memorable enough to be featured at the forefront of the mix. A great lead guitar might not be a great substitute for a piano, right? Our harmonica melody being the main hook in a hard rock, rock song might not be great. So if you're trying to make a very intimate song, right, that feels like you just sat on the bed next to your friend, grabbed your guitar and started singing, an electric bass may be a poor choice, right? Because it sort of it sort of now gives that band feel. Whereas if it's just an acoustic guitar and singing that's like way up on the mic and it feels really intimate and you're sort of singing in your mid-range, you know, that's going to have that intimate sound of you just singing to your friend. You just singing to your significant other, right? And maybe you can start layering in some strings in the background or whatever to, to give it a, a little more interest over time. Uh, but you're probably not going to be having layers of electric guitar for this intimate song, right? Now, again... There's different types of intimate, right? I, I, in a sense, m- almost all the songs I write, I like to think of as sort of intimate, uh, although it tends to be more intimate in the verses, and then the choruses are are uh, less so. But you know, like every other rule or implication or thing I say, right? Meant to be broken. I don't make the rules for this. 
you need to figure out for yourself what the right answer is. Um, but on the other side, right, if you're creating a face-melting massive rock song, going with acoustic guitar for the lead guitar part over the electric might be a horrible mistake. It just doesn't have that, that, that grit. It doesn't have that power, right? So it would almost feel weak in that context. Whereas doing lead acoustic guitar along with your strummed guitar might be great for that more intimate song, right? And it depends on genre too, right? Like, like uh, what your song needs being a country song is going to be different than what a song needs being a hard rock song, which is going to be different than what it needs being an EDM song, right? Uh, your, you know, the steel guitar probably has no place in a rock song unless it's a southern rock song. Um, a steel guitar probably doesn't have much place in EDM either, right? Like now, maybe if you throw it in. That will make it different, and that can be your thing. Um, but for the most part, that you know, that might not be what you're going for, because maybe with EDM, you know, you 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 sort of have that electronic feel. It has that modern feel. It it you know it it, it has a certain sound to it with all those synths, which is different than the, the pure grit of a guitar, right? So if you want your song to sound really raw, you probably want to. S- stay away from, you know, adding too many strings or, um, or, or adding synths to your rock song, right? Cause that might make it less raw. It will make it sound a little more refined, which might be good. It might be bad, right? So these are all the just different stylistic choices you have to ask about for your song. What is the right choice? Because if you want a wall of sound, it might be appropriate to have two different guitars playing power chords, two more guitars doing leads, a few more guitars filling in the gaps with some arpeggios, and even more guitars that are drenched in reverb just to create the background soundscape. Uh, and, and, and for that, you'll almost definitely want drums and bass, right? That's just a given. If you're writing a rock song, you're, you're just going to have drums and bass. Um Whereas you might not want that for another type of song, or instead of bass, you might want uh, an acoustic bass, or maybe you want an upright bass or a, a double bass, right? Or maybe you don't want something that low, so you just want a cello instead. These are all the choices that you need to determine is, is, is right for your song. So you're figuring out the pieces that your song needs, it's a huge part of arrangement. And you're not worried about exactly what the parts sound like and exactly the notes of the part, but just understanding, like, I need I need some, some power chords here. I need to utilize strings in this part of the song. I need a part at this point in the song to add some melodic interest. I want some sort of lead part here. Or, you know, I, I need this song to sound more uh, country folk, whatever. So, you know, maybe I need to add a harmonica or maybe the right choice is steel guitar, depending on what I'm going for, right? Uh, or banjo, if I want to go a little more folky. Um, so, and I don't pretend to know that much about sort of the the country side of things. So if I said something that you think was inaccurate, forgive me. Country is not my forte. Um, So I can't answer what's right for all songs. You need to know and understand your own song. You need to realize what kind of team you're building. Are you building a football offense with all its different roles and skill sets? And even with that, right, are you, are you building a run-first team that just wants to run it down the opponent's throats and then pass, you know, at opportune times for the big play? Or are you a dink-and-dunk offense? You just want to pass the ball a lot and get about five yards each time? Or do you want to rely on big plays from your super-fast wide receivers that can burn somebody down the field, right? Um or, you know, to go to another, are you building a doubles tennis team where both should have more similar skill sets? You know, maybe an example of of that with, with so like a, a large arrangement, right, is sort of like the football team. You have a bunch of different parts and they all have very different jobs to do. 
Whereas with like a doubles tennis team, right, you're maybe looking at a more acoustic side of things. Maybe it's just, you know, a little more intimate and you get your acoustic guitar or your piano and then maybe you get a cello with it or a, or a violin, right? And not one is not necessarily more important than the other. They're not backing each other up. They're just two parts coming together as one to form the heart of your song. Right, maybe it's even two acoustic guitars. I'm sure you've heard songs like uh, I believe James Taylor does this a decent amount, where there's like two or no, not as good an example as a uh, uh, Joshua Radden, Joshua Radin. I forget how you say his name. Um, he has a lot of very acoustic based songs, but often there's m- layers of acoustic guitars. There's at least like two acoustic guitars working together to make one sort of acoustic guitar main part. Uh, and it's sort of like two parts working as one part almost um, would be sort of how I look at it or would explain it, you know, because your average listener is not going to be like, oh, that's obviously two guitar parts. It's just like, oh, there's acoustic guitar doing stuff. That might be like a doubles tennis team, right? Uh, we both have more similar skill sets. So you just need to figure out what pieces are demanded by your song. And then you just need to figure out what and how to fill the holes, right? Whatever, whatever, whatever the pieces your song needs, you need to now figure out the actual parts, um, which I've had some, some other uh, podcasts and blogs about that. I have my music arrangement theory, which sort of gives uh, how I look at arrangements, which is basically broken down to five parts. I have, a, I have the body which is what I consider the foundation of the song. The body of a song is more or less um, what, if you have like a four to six piece band and you play live, the parts that all of those people are playing is the body, right? So if you have a drummer, the drums. The drums is a part of the body. The bass is a part of the body. If there's a bass guitarist. If there's a pianist, that's a part of the body. If there's, you know, an electric guitarist, part of the body. Etc. Lead guitar would be a part of the body, but also leads are also a separate concept. A lead is basically any part of the body that's primarily melodic. Um, and then I have what I call the main, which is also a part of the body. Uh, main is sort of the specialized part of the body, the, the, the main instrument that sort of sticks out, right? So if a song opens with like a piano riff and the piano is prominent throughout the song, that's probably the main. If it starts with acoustic guitar and acoustic guitar is kind of what holds everything together and when the song breaks down to nothing, right? Like if a song builds, 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 has power chords and stuff and breaks down to nothing, what's the instrument that's left? Is it acoustic guitar? Is it piano? That's probably your main instrument. Also, whatever instrument you wrote the song with is probably your main instrument. Again, I'm blowing through these fast. Feel free to go back to the Music Arrangement Theory podcast if you want more on this stuff. And then I have filler, which is sort of tends to be arpeggios and other simplistic things, like maybe just hitting the same note and quarter notes. You know, um, you know, so it, it might follow, you know, whatever the chord is. If it's a C chord, I'll just keep hitting C in quarter notes or maybe in triplets or maybe in half notes, right? Different things to just sort of fill in the mix. These aren't parts that would ever be prominent. They're not parts that when you don't play them live, anybody's like, oh, that one part's missing. It's just sort of something to fill out the mix for a recording, uh, primarily, that sort of gives that professional sheen to it, if you will. And then atmospheres, which I think is uh, the other big thing that makes the difference, big difference between something that sounds amateur and something that sounds professional, right? Amateur basically just has body. It just has the body stuff, right? If you listen to a local band's album, most of the time you can hear the two guitars, the bass, the drums, and the vocalist, and you can tell that's literally all that's recorded. But if you listen to your favorite rock band, if you listen to Three Days Grace or Breaking Benjamin or 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 Journey, if we go back, right, or Led Zeppelin, right, like in their case, for the most part, there's some exceptions. You don't just hear those, you know, literally. Yep, there's four instruments. That's it. That's all that's here. No, there's there's parts that are there's more to it. Um, even though live, it would be only those four or five instruments. And atmospheres is sort of. 
something I consider anything very vague and reverb laden. So anything very echoey, it doesn't really have a tempo to it. It's think like synth pads or other vague sounds that are way in the background of the song, like ocean waves, a recording of ocean waves or a thunderstorm or something. Um, and I like to think of these as sort of a subcategory of, of filler. Um, so thinking through, you know, which of those parts do you need? What are the parts right to your body? Like what, what are the, for the body of this song, what parts do I need? Does it have drums? Does it have bass? Is it acoustic guitar? Is it piano? I don't know. Is, is that, that next step. And then, and then really the final step here is, is to, uh, and again, I have a bunch of podcasts on this stuff. So I have another podcast, five important questions when arranging, and then one about the golden rule of arranging, uh, and all uh, to really boil, you know, I can't cover three podcasts or four different podcast subjects in one podcast. So, uh, I recommend you check those out, but, um, to really boil it down, you know, with an arrangement, once you figure out the parts that you need, you need to now construct it in a way that it sounds good. So for the most part, you don't want a lot of instruments in the same area of, of, uh, pitch, right? So if you don't want everything to be in the mid range, you don't want the piano to be around middle C and then all the guitars are around middle C and the violins are around middle C and, you know, you don't want that, right? You want something that's really high, something a little less high, a little less high, something high mid-rangey, something true mid-range. And I'm not saying you can't double up, right? Like anytime you double up on guitar parts, for the most part, guitar parts are, are pretty mid-rangey, especially power chords, right? Power chords are pretty mid-rangey. And I'm not saying like you can only have one set of power chords. Like, no, you can have a bunch, but you need to also have different parts. If, if, if you have a bunch of power chords, right, you should, probably shouldn't have a lead guitar that is in the same pitch area as the power chords. Put it higher or lower, probably higher, right? The bass part is lower than the power chords, right? If it's the same, it's kind of just redundant um, and things start to get in the way of each other. So again... We can't go into all of those details. Arrangement is a huge thing to tackle. So we're just sort of talking about how to start. And as far as how to start, you really just got to think through the arrangement as a team concept and how to build your team um, to do what it needs to do for your song, to service your song well, to service your song in the way that it needs to be done to make sure that the emotion of the song is serviced by the arrangement that you choose. So something really important for arranging. Um, if there, if there's one thing that just truly is going to be unbelievably difficult without music theory, it's arranging. Because if you, you know, just figured out four chords that work together and you have no concept of keys or the rules of them, good luck figuring out a lead guitar part. Good luck figuring out some filler guitar parts. Good luck figuring out how to even come up with a part that fits with this chord progression you have. And it's a new year, right? Right now, it is New Year's Eve. Now is the time to decide not to be lazy anymore. Not to make excuses anymore. To stop saying, oh, music theory is, music theory is only for, for academics, and I'm no academic. Stop it. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's like saying, yeah, I want to be a mechanic, but I don't want to actually learn the parts of a car and how they work together. I just want to put stuff in there, take the oil out, and call it a day. No, that's not how it works. You don't get to be a surgeon just by, I'll figure it out. Oh, something's bleeding? I'll just, uh, I'll just take it out. 
mm, I'll, I'll stitch it. I'll try things until it works. Right? That's not how that works. That's not how life works. So stop living in a fantasy world and decide that you are going to take the step and you're going to learn music theory this year. Because you know that as far as something that is really not hard to learn, because there's only four main parts to music theory you need to learn, you know that learning those four things will make all the difference in your songwriting. It can revolutionize your songwriting. You can write songs a ton faster. You can write songs a lot better. You can do a lot more things because you understand the rules. So you're no longer confined to like, oh, I know these three chord progressions that work well together. So I'll just keep recycling those over and over and over and over again. My name's Taylor Swift. Kidding, kind of. So that's the importance of music theory. So if you want to learn music theory, which is very important and helpful, especially for arrangement, and for songwriting, just, it's just at the core of what we do. It's a necessary thing. Luckily, I have a totally free guide that simply breaks down and explains the four main parts of music theory that you need to know. And breaks it down, makes it easy to learn, makes it easy to figure out. I, for everything, I give you like several different ways to learn or memorize things. I show you the same things at multiple different angles so that whatever resonates best with you uh, will work. I even have little quizzes in there to make for you to look at at the end of each of the four things to, you know, to make sure like, oh, okay, I really do understand or maybe I don't understand. I need to go back and read it again. At the beginning, I even explained to you how to get the most out of the guide, how to read it in a way that you make sure you learn um, and again, it's totally free. Songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide, all one word. Songwritertheory.com slash music theory guide. It is totally free. And I 100% guarantee that learning music theory, those just those four parts, right? Where it's not getting into weird, wonky academic stuff. Or whatever you have in your mind. We're not getting into that. Because I agree that, you know, for everything, there's a certain level you just don't need to learn. Um, And there's plenty of music theory that's useless to songwriters, in my opinion. Plenty. These four things are not. These four things are crucial Absolutely crucial, I think, for any musician, but definitely for a songwriter. There's only four things. And you can learn it for free in a step-by-step guide at songwritertheory.com slash musictheoryguide. So, if you've been hanging out with me for the past, now it's been about a year and a month, thank you. Thank you for all the downloads, all the listens. Thank you for still sticking around, for still being passionate about learning about songwriting, to be dedicated enough to the cause of writing better songs that you take the time out of your week to listen to these podcasts. I appreciate that. And the world that will have better songs written because you chose to learn to songwrite, uh, Also, whether they know it or not, is thankful. Uh, Because if you go on to write even one song that makes a difference in one person's life, uh, at least in my mind, it was all worth it. So you know what? Go you. Thank you for the year of support. It's been an awesome first year. I'm super excited to dive into the next year. Um, I'm so glad that next year is already here because I'm just super excited about it. Um, and you know what, if you haven't, now is the best time to go leave that review, preferably on iTunes. If you can give that five stars again, if you can't, I know I say this every time, but if you can't give it five stars because you feel it does not deserve five stars, 
that's totally fine. I just ask that you then not leave any reviews so that you don't tank uh, the the uh, rating. Because if you do that, then other people might not give this podcast a chance, and then I won't get a chance to get better, and I won't get the chance uh, to grow the audience and to help more people learn to songwrite. So if you do have some constructive feedback or you want to you know, just tell me how much you dislike this podcast or me or something, uh, just email it to me joseph at songwritertheory.com shoot me an email I'd love to talk to you Uh, I'd love to get your feedback I'd love to hear what you feel I can do better I'd also love to hear some ideas of what you want me to talk about I have the next couple months planned out but I am happy to change some of those things um, if there's something specific that you as listeners want to hear because at the end of the day this podcast is for you, not to for me to hear myself talk, uh, because um, I don't always love to hear myself talk. I'm not going to lie and say that I never like to hear myself talk. I like to think I'm honest and transparent with you, so there it is. Not going to lie. Sometimes I do. Um, but at the end of the day, this podcast is for you, uh, not for me. So knowing what you want to learn is crucial. And I want to do those things. I really do. And I've enjoyed going back and forth with emails with uh, everybody who has reached out to me. Um, I appreciate all of you and the kind words. And I will talk to you next year. Have an awesome New Year's Eve, or if you're listening past New Year's Eve, uh, I hope you're having a great start to the new year.